Welcome to Season 2 of The Host Dispatch. I'm your co-host, Claire Bowman, and I am so thrilled that we were able to kick off Season 2 conversing with the warm and magical poet Lily Somerson. Lily is the Spring 2021 Host Publications Chapbook Prize winner for their chapbook called Mistaken for Loud Comets, forthcoming in February 2021. Lily Somerson is a poet and essayist from Chicago. She is a winner of the 2020 Eileen Lannan Poetry Prize with the Academy of American Poets. She is currently a first-year poetry MFA student at Vanderbilt University and an assistant poetry editor of the Nashville Review. The host publications team is over the moon about this beautiful new chapbook, Mistaken for Loud Comets. It is a collection of poems that peers deeply into experiences around incarceration, queerness, and the Black body in America. This is deeply personal work, and there is a tender heart at the center of this chapbook that made us fall in love with it at first sight. The pre-order link is live on our website, hostpublications.com, and the first 100 pre-orders will receive a fun party pack of accompaniments to Lily's work. And folks, we're getting close to 100 pre-orders already, so head on over to hostpublications.com to pre-order your copy today. On February 27th, tune in at 7 p.m. to the Malvern Books YouTube channel for the book launch for Mistaken for Loud Comets, and join us for a special reading by Lily Somerson, followed by a Q&A. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Lily. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome to the show. Hi. We're so excited to talk to you today. And there's so many exciting things going on with your chat book, Mistaken for Loud Comets, um, which comes out at the end of February. So it's February 27th when Lily's chat book launch officially is. Yeah. It's right around the corner. How are you feeling about it, Lily? I am like over the moon excited. I know that we've been talking about, you know, this book will feel real when it's in your hands or like when it has like all these aspects that make it a book, but it's finally feeling real to me. And I'm just so excited about it. We are too. Um, Nar and I got to see the proofs yesterday, as we were telling you before, and it's just a stunning cover. I mean, the interior looks great too, but Anar did such a good job on that cover. It brought so many feelings to the table. I would say too, um, and Lily, you can chime in on this, but the last steps of designing the cover, we had a Zoom hang where we shared our screen and talked about every detail and confirmed color, Mm -hmm. just like really finessed it. And there was a moment where we were both like, oh, this is it. Yeah. There was definitely like a click. Absolutely. I think especially because we had a lot of colors on the table for possibilities. So we had that indigo, but we also had like an orangey, we had like a pink color. 
And there was a lot of variations between those, but there is something about that indigo Mm. that just felt so perfect, like very mysterious. Um, And it had the exact vibe of the book. And it felt like when I saw that indigo color next to all the other colors, I was like, oh, it's like no contest. Like that one for sure wins, Um, which is funny because that's the first one you sent. Mm -hmm. So it's so funny how that happens, how that was the original color. And I was like, oh, maybe I want to see more. But it was perfect. Every book, there's something like that where it's like, there's a point of like, oh, this is it. And then we're like, let's push it. And then we always return. But mm-hmm. um, I really do think that that's such a, like in terms of design, like like a rule of thumb is like, you know, you have a great image if you can make it really tiny. Mm-hmm. And multiply it, or if you can blow it up, and it's still just powerful. And I kind of think that with like a great cover, it's like you can have a hundred colorways, and it still yeah. says something about the work. Mm. And so I'm excited to create some postcards to mail yes. out with your book. So exciting! I was just thinking about that indigo that you two landed on and it reminds me of the very first piece of inspo that Lily you gave us um, for the cover which is that beautiful poster hanging behind you right now yes it's got you know a different shade but a a definite purple going on Mm -hmm. and I just really love that like it seems to have felt like so pure and so right from the very beginning like there there seemed like there was a correct way for things to go with this manuscript, I would argue in every in every possible facet of of putting it together, it it didn't seem like well we have all these different options to choose from we mm-hmm. could we could do a lot of things. It felt like there was like a right way to do it, and we just had to figure out what that was. That felt unique to me from a bookmaking standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when we were trying to decide the title, uh, that was also a big thing of thinking. Like, well, I want the cover to look like this. So will the title go with the cover, which seems kind of backwards <laughs> yeah. um, thinking about it. But this uh, poster print, which for the people listening at home, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> this old poster, I think from the 1940s or 1950s, but it could be older than that. Uh, And it's centered around the South Shore Line, which is a train line going from Chicago to Indiana. And when I moved to Chicago, that's the way I would always go home. But also growing up, it was just a huge marker for me of like every trip that we took to Chicago, um, all the times that we would travel, we would do it on that train. And so I believe a year and a half ago, I got this gift of this poster from my grandma Mm -hmm. and it has this gorgeous huge goose on it with like some geese just floating in the background and it's this gorgeous like royal purple color and the minute I saw it I was like obsessed with it so the fact that that could be inspiration for this cover was just perfect it felt like it was meant to be yeah and you just describing that that's the train that you took to get back home kind of makes me want to cry a little bit (laughs) because that's like this manuscript has such a beating heart for home and family Mm -hmm. um which was a huge a huge part of 
that feeling of there was a right way to treat and edit the work um, in service of that, I think. But yeah, just that that kind of homebound feeling to it is is that's some kismet right there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just to keep talking about the cover and the work and the relationship between them, is that like you you did mention that it felt kind of backwards to have a vision for the cover and you know, not entirely sure what the title of your manuscript or the chapbook was really supposed to be. But I really think that on like a cosmic level, naming things and the way something appears and the way it's presented to the world, like it all comes together when it's supposed to. Um, And I think that this is what, I mean, a word that we have been using a lot for this book is iconic and our vision for this book has an icon to it. Um, and there's a timelessness to your work. There's a, a timelessness to when we finalized this cover, we were like, this is a forever cover. Mm-hmm. It embodies 2021 and the 1940s and the time before that, and the time that follows today. And that's a rare feeling to feel when you're reading a work, when you're holding a book, and it feels right. Absolutely. And I really feel like the cover encapsulates this idea of the book of going back in time Mm -hmm. and nostalgia, which is not only a huge inspiration for my poetry, but also just in my life. Mm. Like I love um, antiques and vinyl and old prints and just weird stuff like that. (laughs) I've always been um, someone who enjoys those things. And also my, my grandmother had an antique booth. So it's just always kind of been in my life to prioritize things like that. And I'm so happy that it can be shown through the cover and through the work Mm -hmm. itself. Totally. I really appreciate what you said, Anar, about my work being timeless, because that is such high praise. I really appreciate that. And that's what I'm going for. I want it to be able to live before me and beyond me. I love your retro vintage aesthetic lily it like really sings to my heart um i am definitely into all of that stuff as well and um i'm just curious if you ever have thought about that part of your life that aesthetic part of your life influencing your poetry um is that something you you consider yeah there's one specific poem in the manuscript which i feel like encapsulates this well and it's the very last one um which is portrait of house with visitor and it's actually inspired by the magazines that i got from my house in indiana so we have a bunch of architectural digest magazines Mm -hmm. and i just loved how decadent everything looked like it looked very retro and very um just meant to be like in the poem I talk about like a vintage chaise lounge and orchids on the coffee table and like this idea of delicacy and Mm -hmm. I just love that feeling and I was wondering in the poem like how can I get to that feeling in writing without 
there being any images for the reader to go off of. Yeah. So like how to talk about like that retro feeling of um, just being surrounded in like a luster almost. So I really wanted to bring that home for the last one. I think it comes through a lot for me in that poem in color. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems very saturated in color and the specific colors. Even I think there's color where you're not using color words. So like cornbread and Mm -hmm. corduroys, like cornbread certainly has a specific color to it. Corduroys could go a lot of different ways, but I think they're very saturated words. Um, Plus there's also a lot of purple and blue and violet in there as well. That is such a great way to just, not just to visually bring us into the poem, but to like bring our hearts into the space as well. I think color like speaks to us on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. So Lily, a lot of what happens in these podcasts, especially in the interviews, is I just sink in for this ride of like conversation about poetry and and I just listen and I'm just happy to be here is the mode that I get into. I think it's fun. I love it. Yeah. Um, Lily, we, we briefly glossed over the title, which is mistaken for loud comets. And I was hoping you might have some more thoughts, um, or, or even information for us on where that title comes from. We obviously Mm -hmm. know that it's a line from one of the poems, um, but what is the relationship between the title and the work itself? Well, like I said, we were having a hard time with the title. Um, the original title was To Knock on Glass. And that was the title that I used when I first finished the book. And I was like, that feels okay. But like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's just something not there for me. So then when I submitted it to you guys, we had the title synonyms for flight and that felt closer but not exactly there Mm -hmm. so uh claire you actually went through the book and you were like well you know like what about this title or what about this and when you suggested mistaken for loud comments it feels like it clicked it really means to me like outside of the poem of course the poem is talking about this sort of rapturous idea where inmates are able to just kind of float out of the walls of the prisons that hold them and what that would look like. And this idea of the rapture being mistaken for something else. Right. So the poem is called Concerning the UFO Sighting Near Edinburgh Correctional Facility. But it's also thinking about what it means to mistake something for something else. Um, And I think that the whole manuscript really talks about that as well. The subject matter is dealing very heavily with marginalized populations, incarcerated populations, and people who are immediately written off before they even have a chance to be considered. Mm -hmm. And even being the child of someone who is incarcerated, it's very disheartening to see how often they are written off before they can even show their ability to do something. And I just wanted to explore an idea of what if, like what if that wasn't the case 
or what if they could be more than what society has made them out to be? And if we could just see them as people instead of numbers or cellmates or people who are literally less than, I feel like inmates are not treated as people, I think especially in America. Oh my God, yeah. So with the prison industrial complex here, it's just astounding to see how awful the situation has gotten. And so I really wanted to think about that. But also the word mistaken comes up a few other times in the manuscript, which I saw afterwards, like after we chose it. Yeah, I don't um, think I ever realized that. Yeah, like it was it was really weird, um, actually, because there's another poem that's talking about the first ever reported instance of police brutality in Chicago mm. or like mistaken police brutality um, with an unarmed person. And in the poem, I say that this subject was mistaken for something else, mm. like in the title. Um, it was actually a child, um, a black child who was mistaken for a robber in 1901. So thinking about that word mistaken of like, observing something and taking it for something else completely was just really interesting to me in the manuscript and I feel like it propelled me through a lot of it yeah so having that in the title felt really good it feels so right to me as well and I'm I'm just thinking about how interesting that word is now mistaken where there's like this this action within it of taking something yes um and I do think that is integral to that idea or those various permutations of that idea of people not just understanding something the wrong way um but that they are it's like they possess it yes um in their minds a certain way and mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense when it when it comes down to like these issues of privilege and identity and all of the different mm -hmm. ways that we get you know, quote unquote, taken by other people and the way that word really just means seen on the surface. But mm -hmm. it means a lot more than that, because the mental mechanics of what happens after you're seen is what has all those terrible sometimes ramifications. Yeah, that just like infect, infect our whole society. Um, I do love, though, how you've taken in the title that word mistaken. Mm -hmm. And what the people are being mistaken for are loud comets, which really, it like blasts it open to possibilities. Like we are probably, we're human. We're always going to mistake mm -hmm. things for other things. Um, but to like open up the possibilities of that and to sort of play with it and turn it on its head and mistake it for something cosmic and yeah. beautiful like what if your assumptions about people were higher rather than lower I guess yeah totally um and that's the total thing I was going for when choosing the title because it almost felt sci-fi to me like thinking about how comets don't make any noise at least to our human ears down here on earth we don't hear any noises but I'm sure right. that they're incredibly loud we just don't know it um so that's also something to think of like what noise do they make they're so far away that we <laughs> will never know and like just being able to perceive them but not know much about them which also goes into this idea of 
mistaking something. Um, yeah. But I wanted to imagine people as everlasting, people as being outside of just humans, how we are in like our soul makeup and how I wish that everyone could be looked at in that way on that very grounding level of just being appreciated for who they are and not just perceived based on what they look like or what they've done in the past. Yeah, that's so funny that you say science fiction because Anar, you say that all the time about this book. Like, this is a sci-fi book. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it feels like this book should live on the shelf next to our queen, Octavia Butler. And, And then you also think about the best science fiction books have the most retro covers and vibes. <laughs> and yeah, there was just something really, you work sci-fi into like a tone or like a mood or an atmosphere mm-hmm. into like yeah. every piece. And it's so subtle, but I mean, the UFO poem. I think science fiction and poetry have a relationship I mean, science fiction is often, you know, wildly imaginative metaphors for problems in society or problems with human nature or our relationship to nature and structures of power. I really love it when we can pick out like distinct sci-fi elements in, Mm -hmm. in poetry. Yeah, absolutely. I really agree. And that's Um, When I first started writing the book, and even when it was almost done, if you asked me if I saw any sci-fi elements in it, I would have been like, oh, no. Right. I don't see that at all. But I think after looking at them all together, they do have a lot of those interests in them. And I think it's also because I'm very much inspired by supernatural things in the supernatural world. Um, Also, tarot and ghosts and Mm -hmm. just thinking about things like that and I'm so happy to see that those showed up in the poems because for a long time I really separated them I was like okay so these are like my hobbies and interests and then I also write poetry but it's very different Mm -hmm. and um for a long time when people asked what I wrote about I said oh I write about my dad or oh I write about the prison industrial complex or xyz but I think I write I, I mean, I love to just write about everything, especially supernatural things. So I'm so happy that those could also have a place in the book. It's funny how those things sneak into your aesthetic, whether you're trying to put them there or not. You know, yeah. it's just part of who you are. And so it's going to be part of the poem one way or another, even if it's just one word choice that you make. You've mentioned when you started this manuscript and when you have finished the manuscript, but I was wondering if we could just go back in time for a second and talk about how we became connected. Yes. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> this is this is so fun. I love to tell everyone that a couple of years ago, around this time, it was like January, February, Claire had just joined us at host and it had been like my second or third year managing and um we were working on some books and suddenly I was like oh my god I need to finish prepping for AWP 
We didn't know anyone that was going to Portland because it's so far from Texas. So we were having lots of folks that were interested in reading for Ice Cream Social, but couldn't make it to Portland. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to tweet. Who <laughs> wants to be on this woman in non-binary lineup for Ice Cream Social at an ice cream parlor? And the same day, I'm sure within hours, um, we filled up our lineup and Lily was one of those people. And it was so thrilling to have shaped a lineup of people that I would not ever meet otherwise and have now like made lifelong friends from that group. Um, Mm -hmm. It was one of the best readings I've ever been to that I've ever curated. Um, But Lily, you read pieces from this manuscript and I knew that I absolutely needed to see this book in the world when it was ready. And it was this feeling of like beyond selfishness. I was just like, I absolutely want to publish this collection. But it was also this thing where it was like, I will do whatever I can in my power, in my life to make sure that this work sees the light of day. Because Mm. your work is so important, Lily. And I'm so excited to be a part of bringing it into the world. But Like the moment I heard you read these pieces, I was like, I need to see these. I need to hold these. And so to come to this moment in time and to see it manifest is such a powerful moment for me and for you and (laughs) for us collectively. I I am just so appreciative of hearing you say that. And it's just so affirming to hear that you feel that way I just feel like you both but I mean the whole host team have always been so wonderful to me in every way that you possibly could you know when the book first got announced people were asking like oh you know host publications like what's been your experience with them and I said it feels like they're my friends like (laughs) whenever we're on zoom it just feels like we're all hanging out and chatting mm-hmm. and it feels like we all have each other's best interest and that is a connection that I will always cherish the fact that I have always felt so embraced by you all and I couldn't ask for a better place to publish this with um I don't know if I would trust anyone else with this chapbook, I just, you guys just did a phenomenal job. So I'm just so happy that I responded to that tweet <laughs> like two years ago. <laughs> like how, I just, I always think about that too. Like how funny mm-hmm. that that all happened. Um, I believe, I mean, one of my favorite authors ever, Hanif Willis Abdurraki, reposted that. And at the time he was, uh saying where he was like he was doing readings and he was kind of going across the country he was going to mission creek festival in iowa and so i had his posts on like a notification so the notification came up that ice cream social was happening in portland and i didn't even think about it i was like oh yeah there you go i'm gonna do that and it's just so funny to see us now like how interesting that that could happen and I think that also just affirms how faded this all felt. It felt like from the cover to the title to the way that the book 
ended up becoming a book it just felt so meant to be I agree and we are so incredibly grateful that you submitted your manuscript and have allowed us to work with it because it's exactly what we wanted to do when we were signing up to make chat books in the first place and uh, I feel like that whole situation seems to me like not even like fate it's just like following a trail of breadcrumbs you Mm -hmm. know and just being like well this one makes sense so this next step makes sense and it feels right and it feels good and yeah it just one little thing at a time it's crazy how much it can change life absolutely but I you know and Claire and I have been talking a lot lately about being open and welcoming rituals and just there's when there's like a goodness in your intentions, I really do feel like it brings the right people and energy Mm -hmm. and projects into our lives. Um, And I feel like that was one of those moments where it really confirmed what we were trying to do with host and with our own lives and with our friendships. The intention is genuinely good. We want to publish and elevate voices that are saying really important things that shape this world to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that intention has been out there and to patiently wait for your manuscript these years until you were ready was you know really worth it (laughs) I love too that we're we're doing the work of elevating voices as we always say and we want to support um you know you're you said Lily earlier that you're writing about like the prison industrial complex right those big sort of buzzwords and you are but what I love so much about your work is that you are bringing in those kind of headlines of what's going on societally and culturally for us right now and what we're processing and moving through. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's so you, it's so very Lily at the same mm-hmm. time. It's not a generic reporting back what's happening in the world or, you know, giving some commentary on that. It is the poetry itself is I think poetry of the soul and of the heart. And I think it's a really important relationship for poets to consider uh, all poets from all different backgrounds that we aren't just writing about what's going on in the world and we're not just writing about ourselves. Those are not mutually exclusive things. Like we are part of this world and so it filters through us and it has always felt to me so genuine um, and just essential to you, even when you are talking about those big concepts that are so important and difficult to um, to talk about. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I feel like um, my mentors and my friends and the people who all look at the manuscript before it even was fully an idea really influenced that aspect of it specifically. Hmm. I was um, talking to my mentor, Jenny Bully, who was my professor when I went to Columbia College Chicago. And I would give her some of my writing. And she said, well, I mean, 
I think you need to go deeper into this. Like before I was writing about just like a lot of different things, but I hadn't really landed on the subject of my dad. And then also in that respect, how to branch off from that Mm -hmm. while also still talking about it. So she said, I think that you need to write through this. That's, I mean, essentially the reason why all of this happened, because even at the time I was a completely different major, I had no intentions of ever being a poet. I was like, oh, that's just like a <laughs> hobby. <laughs> like, that's not a thing I'm going to do for my job ever. Why, right. Who would ever do that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Even though I had been writing for years, but I was like, oh, that's just not possible. And so having that conversation with Jenny really showed me that it was possible and then also um, with Tony, Tony Trigelio, who did the introduction of this book, he is the one who really inspired me to get weird with it. So like, because <laughs> I would always say, like, I would be in his office and I would say, is this too weird? Or like, what do you think about this? He's like, no, it's not too weird. You need to follow your gut with your own writing. Yeah. And I think without his amazing presence and push, the poems wouldn't be what they are at all. So I just am so appreciative to him and to Jenny and also to all the people in my undergrad and my MFA program because they have been so kind and generous with their feedback. And it's just been like a dream. It's It really is like the best case scenario. Like I really have like some of the best people in my circle that you possibly could. And so I just really appreciate that because I can see it in the writing um and it makes me just excited to be able to write more and be able to connect with those people as well about their own writing and also about mine yeah the mentors and the cohort are so important um maybe we don't all need them but I know I did and I'm so glad that it is has just helped to like hearten your spirit as you continue to commit to the life of a poet, which is weird. It is weird. (laughs) The poems should be weird because you know what? It's a weird thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lily, will you read to us from Mistaken for Loud Comets? Yeah, I have three poems picked out and I feel like they all really speak to one another. So this first one is the UFO poem that we've been talking about. (laughs) And it's also inspired by the Sufjan Stevens song um, concerning the UFO sighting near Highland, Illinois. It's called Concerning the UFO Sighting Near Edinburgh Correctional Facility. Suddenly at dusk, everyone's fathers float out of their jail cells, all locks grown long again, their concrete ceilings opened up beaming towards the heavens. It's some sort of rapture floating wildly above our heads, unidentified objects, orange birds of paradise dotting the horizon, father as in sky ballet, father as in never in the wrong place at the wrong time, boots lofty like there is so much to celebrate. All of the police have never seen a gun They don't say a damn thing. Fathers doing somersaults, shackles nowhere. Men mistaken for loud comets. Midwest America pointing upwards. Look, a second chance. A Doppler of white light. Some blinking oblivion to witness. 
and tell our children about. And this next one is inspired by a poem that my father wrote for my mother. It's Lisa, I saw so many geese coming out of a dark gray cloud. I must ask if you care that I saw them too. Birds, black feathered, flung astral and heavenward, carving the air hard with their bodies. My mother pretends she has not seen them, maybe, but I've always waited for their ascension, followed them down Route 20 until everything was winged and disastrous. These geese disrupt everything. These geese fly through the poem, the exosphere, demand to be touched by the hand of God or whatever is closest to it, paternal and otherwise. You call and ask for my mother, but I can't admit that I too have come out of something gray and cumulus, a thing who cannot love you correctly. Your voice, paternal and otherwise, asks me to write more letters, but I am suddenly her, just rounded at the edges, softer and more willing to listen. My Lisa, where have you been? I am hurried at the mention of her name. Here we watch as grief reroutes the sky, makes everything push back out. When the birds finally drop through the air, they all wear your face. And this is the last poem I'll be reading, and actually the newest poem in the manuscript, I believe. Um, it's Portrait of House with Visitor. I invite my father to sit down in the poem. I ask him if God exists in captivity. I invite him into my space, which is to say we are near one another for the first time. I would like to build a room without a steel mouth. I invite him in, holes in his pants, punctured stars. A room with a stained glass window we talk about normal things like normal people. A breakfast nook then, little salt and pepper shakers, a kitschy tablecloth. I ask, are the windows too small? He whispers, to be black is to know death. He was in solitary for six months. My face, uncanny valley as he struggles to look at me. Our noses are the same carved flat on round faces. I build, make the house bigger, less claustrophobic. I paste him into photo albums, a living room then, a vintage chaise lounge, orchids on the coffee table, decadence. In the house, he talks slowly, measuring his life. They cut his locks in prison. In the poem, they're still there, but we have to pretend. He is 20 years younger. We paint murals in the living room. We cook his mother's recipe for cornbread. We fight over the remote. We bicker about the news like real people do. I build him new locks, 
new head for them to rest on, a body that was born free. I sew his pants, corduroys worn from walking, gardening, going to the store for milk. I'm playing God. We're still in the house, remember? We have to pretend. I paint the poem white with blue shutters. I choose the furniture for him to sit on, a new bed, white sheets with purple violets, no metal in sight. I build a poem around him, a world without confinement. Yellow light through a screen door, the outside mocking us with its magnitude. Thank you. Oh, Lily. Those were such great poems to hear together. Thank you. And, you know, I've been reading these poems over and over for the last eight months and haven't heard you read them. <laughs> so that just changes everything. <laughs> you know, they're completely different mm -hmm. poems in your voice. The father particularly feels like he just jumps off the page when you read those three together. Um, and he is such a strong through line mm -hmm. in the whole, whole manuscript. Um, I really feel like family is, is the, is this, is the heart of this, but he's like the beating heart, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I really wanted it to feel like he was here mm -hmm. um especially in the work and in the poems um sorry no it's okay you got me going <laughs> too so <laughs> um with the presence of my dad the dedication for the book says may we meet in these pages <laughs> And I really wanted it to feel like I could be present with him because I haven't seen him in, I would say, over 15 years. And he got released from prison on my, actually my birthday, uh, December 2nd, 2019. And he unfortunately passed this summer. So it's been trying to see how I can be close. And what closeness can look like. But I wanted, I wanted to simulate that and see where it could go. I think especially, like, because when he passed, the manuscript was over. Like, it was pretty much all edited and done. And then it was finding that new reinvigorated meaning in the manuscript that really helped me get through his passing. Yeah. And I think that just really helped being able to look at the poems and edit them and create that storyline and that through line. Yeah. And make sure that his presence was very much exalted in the manuscript. Oh, that is the perfect word for it. He... He is a specter 
in some of the poems. He is a metaphor in Mm -hmm. some of the poems. It feels like there's a distance like in a metaphor. And then by the time we get to this last poem, Portrait of House with Visitor, that you just read, um, yeah, he steps, suddenly the door opens and he steps into the room. He goes from being a bird tapping at the window to you know, a comet flying or a goose (laughs) or some conflation of the two Mm -hmm. flying in the sky to a voice in a letter or over the phone to a person in the room. And I can't, I don't really have anything intelligent to say about (laughs) that, what that does on an emotional level, especially knowing the story and, and, and um, being with you while you experienced his passing this summer, while we worked on the poems, I mean, the timing of that is so, yeah, so strange and incredible. And it really felt like, um, yeah, you you bring him to life in the book. And I think you said it the best way it can be said is that you exalt him. And um, it's really special, Lily. I can't. <laughs> imagine we'll ever work on another book like this again (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you I (laughs) I really feel like (laughs) I and I was thinking about this this morning actually when I was thinking about what I wanted to say in the podcast is that I feel like working on this book during that time saved me essentially it made me feel like although there was a lot of guilt and hardship in his passing since I hadn't seen him in so long Mm -hmm. and there was a six-month period where I could have seen him um there was a lot of this feeling of guilt from me but I think this book really allowed me to feel like I was giving him something and it so helped with everything it made me feel like this all happened for a reason. I know we've been touching on that in this podcast of like things feeling faded. Um, but it just felt like there was no other time for this book to come out. If it would have been a year earlier or a year later, it wouldn't have been as impactful. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to spend this like hellish year <laughs> for a bunch of reasons um, <laughs> on making this book. So... I wanted to thank you all for that. Thank you, Lily, for sharing all of that with us. And, um, you know, it's just, I'm a, I'm a poetry nerd, but I just have to say, like, what other medium can we do this sort of healing work with and create mm-hmm. this kind of imaginative and real space for us to meet together? I, I just think that is, that is poetry being used in its highest form in my estimation so um yeah just in awe of your work lily and of your spirit (laughs) thank you so much i i would like to as we talk about your father and these poems i do want to mention that something that was very unique about us working on this manuscript was the order of these poems and how we didn't touch the order of these poems because they were written for the most part chronologically and that they walk us through your relationship 
And I think that is something we think about story and we think about arcs when we put a book together. Um, And previous books have been organized by season, by date, by um, the way that the sun is moving through a book. And this one's driven by the arc of a relationship, which I think was was really special and unique. Yeah, it had its own shape from the very beginning that we kind of knew we just couldn't, we couldn't touch and we didn't want to, which was really special. I appreciate that. Um, I feel like I was so ready to move the poems around. And then I was like, I don't think I need to, which is such a weird feeling to feel like you're, I almost felt like I was over editing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think I need to move them around, especially because I not only have father poems in there and the arc of our relationship, but the work goes chronologically and also as it goes farther, it seems to go back in time, mm-hmm. especially on the maternal side of my family, thinking about immigrating to Chicago and what that means and having the poems that go all the way back to 1901 or 1909 and having them be in the back of the book as well so it almost feels like you're time traveling totally another sci-fi element yes (laughs) Yes, totally which I I felt like that was so cool and I'm so glad that we could also include those poems Mm -hmm. because at first I was like I don't think that these go with everything else. But when I was reading them, I was like, they do. They just tell a different story in like the same way. Yeah. Um, so thinking about both sides of my family and also my race and thinking about how those things intertwine, especially with my dad being black and my mom being white, just thinking about how those things can intertwine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was really a good part of the editing process for me like realizing yeah. like okay these can stay they're in their happy little corner and that's fine <laughs> like I don't have to edit them out Claire and I love love organizing a manuscript it is our favorite game it's a puzzle and we got to a point where we were pretty much done with edits and we we're like all right let's shape this baby <laughs> and we we're like oh it is perfect but you were like yeah I'm ready let's dive Mm -hmm. in um and we're like no Lily it's it's told us what shape it is and that it's gonna stay the same (laughs) and that's saying a lot because there's a lot going on in this manuscript there are poems of very different shapes which I think it's so beautiful with what you were just saying about family background, looking at that from a bunch of different angles and the interrelationships between them. And then we have all these poems that sort of mirror that by shape-shifting from page to page. And um, it's very fluid. It uh, It's not a rigid structure. So yeah, it, it definitely was a masterful organization. And I, I wanted to ask, speaking of time, traveling, Lily, if you have come to perceive this manuscript, and now we can go ahead and call it a book, because it it is a book now. Uh, (laughs) Has your perception of of this book changed over the past year? Um, I'm going to assume that that's a yes, but I'm curious about how 
not even just your personal life having changed, but like the events of 2020, right? And no need to list them. Like, how did that change your your relationship with the manuscript um, as we worked on it? Absolutely. Um, I feel like my whole perception of the book changed because I feel like the minute I submitted it to y'all, I was suddenly taken aback by how the, like it was a thing. I had been working on it for about five years. So it all of a sudden it felt, I was like, these things are in the past now. And it's not a thing that I'm just constantly working on. So that really dramatically shifted the way that I approached editing it. And I came to see the poems maybe selfishly as a way that I could remember a time that wasn't this year. So a lot of the poems, and these were like the first ones that were written. Um, a lot of the poems are erasures of letters that I have gotten from my father over the years. And the book and editing it allowed me to go back to a time when we existed at the same time. Or even that like this year hadn't happened and it was a much more innocent time in my life. Um, and also the book allows this going back in time of my parents' relationship, which is so interesting to think about. I think especially because um, in the beginning of their relationship, they were very much in love. And hearing the, the story of them meeting really inspired a lot of these as well. And just remembering a time when things weren't so hard, when it was very easy and you're falling in love with someone else and it didn't feel bogged down by all these other external factors like incarceration or like substance abuse or any of the other things that, I mean, can really affect people. Um, I wanted to boil it down to like a very pure moment, not only for me, but for them, because it just felt nostalgic to be able to do that and revel in that feeling, even if it's not there anymore. I think distance can be so mm -hmm. important, distance in terms of time when editing, but also just in being able to enjoy the poems like they do completely change to us as we grow beyond them. And I love that this manuscript for you is is a nostalgic place you can you can kind of come back to well after the fact. Yeah. To round us out, Lily, we, we like to ask some fun questions. Are you up for that? Yes, absolutely. Lily, tell us a little bit about the playlist that you curated oh, yeah. for the book. Um, it is a vibe and I really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Um, so actually, I was a little nervous <laughs> when I was curating it because I was worried it was too sad. It is very sad. Um, <laughs> right. And I was like, is that like too much? <laughs> but I really feel like I was like, it would be disingenuous to like not have it have this vibe. And I think that it like starts off a little bit sad and then it goes up to like some more boppy songs. It has Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> 
uh, Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God by Kate Bush. Literally my favorite song right now. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> so it has like some really fun songs, um, which I think that the manuscript also has those moments of color and pop and interest. Mm-hmm. But at its core, it's, I mean, relaying this relationship um, that isn't necessarily poppy. So mm. it really goes from that on to songs like Last Words of a Shooting Star by Mitski and Two Slow Dancers by Mitski and rounds off with Pittsfield by Sufjan Stevens, which is my absolute favorite song from him, which there are a lot of faves. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it felt like that one was just perfect to end on because um, for a lot of these poems, I listened to that song specifically on repeat, like, 30 times I I actually I feel like that's like one of the only songs that I can write to a lot of the times I need it to be completely silent when I write but I was able to just like really get some poems out with that song so I felt like it was a perfect one to end on that is awesome um to talk about the vibe of the manuscript but also like the place setting yeah of the songs are like called Indiana or Pulaski or Chicago or it, it really just like talks about that area and I thought it was just a perfect way to round it out so obviously we're supposed to pair this playlist with the book but let's say we've read the book loved it obviously (laughs) it's six months later where is the perfect place to listen to this playlist like is there a spot anywhere in the world where we sit absolutely It is driving in your car, specifically in the summer, Uh Um, either driving almost in the evening where the sun has started to set and it's already set, but it's now it's like, it's like a dusk and it's driving on the country roads of Indiana Mm. or it's driving from Indiana to Chicago. And it's that moment where... There's like this really wonderful moment when you're driving into Chicago where you stop seeing cornfields and you start seeing buildings. Mm. And the way that they sparkle is just phenomenal. Um, And also, there's this really specific spot in my town, Portage, Indiana, um, and like also like in Gary, where you can sit on the coast of Lake Michigan and look out and see the Chicago skyline because it's only about 50 miles away. But you can see it, especially at a like certain time in the evening. And it just looks amazing. And you can see also like the light pollution from Chicago mm-hmm. just hitting the clouds. And it looks like it's almost floating. Oh, wow. it's so good. But I really feel like that's where... If you can get to those places, everyone should listen to the playlist in those places. <laughs> That's what they're meant for. Uh, you're really speaking to my Midwest heart right now, Lily. <laughs> you got it all lit up. Yes. You said cornfields, and I was like, I'm there. <laughs> totally. Um, I always joke with people that this manuscript is like Midwest Gothic. Yes. wow i feel that we need to make a mood board with just the words we've used to describe this manuscript i think it would be really fun (laughs) just the intersection of midwest gothic and science fiction is 
pretty incredible to think about. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. <laughs> Summer 2021. Everyone get your vaccines. Yes. We're going road tripping. Yes. <laughs> I love it so, so much. What other fun questions do you have, Claire? Let's see. Well, I I really love the geese on the cover. It might just be too obvious, but if this chat book were a bird, would it be a goose? There's like so many birds in the chat book, in the poems. I was wondering if there's like another bird you think whose spirit this chat book mm. might inhabit even more. Yeah, because we have geese, we have crows, we have the dark-eyed juncos. Uh-huh. Um there's a lot, but I feel like it would be maybe a crow. Mm. Well, either a crow or a raven, but I feel like crows are a little friendlier. They're smaller. They're more like sputtery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they move their tails quite a bit. Um, and also throughout this whole thing, crows have been like, I mean, like the whole making of the manuscript. For some reason, crows have been just hanging out by all the windows of the apartments that I've had. <laughs> so like even right now I can look in the tree right next to the window I'm next to and see so many crows. So wow. at first I was like that's kind of scary. Like it feels like an omen, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I've come to really enjoy their presence almost. So I don't know if it's just me, but like crows are around me like almost everywhere. <laughs> so maybe it would be a little crow. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's my final answer. A little crow. Like a baby crow. Yeah. Like an adolescent, like a spunky little teenage crow. Yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> what I find fascinating about that is that um, there's no crows in Texas. And so I know you moved to Nashville last year, and mm-hmm. it's really interesting that your bird for this book is present in that space, which is exciting. I was like, I know it's a bird, first of all. I just don't know what bird it is. And a goose just seemed too obvious. So I really love, I love that answer. I feel like we've asked you this before, Lily, but I do want it on the record. Yeah. What, what is your bird? So my bird's the blue jay. Um, Claire, your bird? The cardinal. Lily, what bird do you feel most akin to? Ooh. It's a good one. I think that it would be a robin. Mm, Yes. I love robins. And actually, when I lived in Chicago, I was looking for a new living situation. And I just happened to, like, pretty much off the cuff, um, like, move in with my best friend, Drew. And this mama robin ended up making a little nest in our window. And... We got to see up close and personal, like her caring for her eggs and then them hatching and flying away. It was like the best experience ever to see it so close. It was right in the window of our living room. So it felt very faded to like be able to watch that happen. Um, But also Robin's um, in my my research of them. Uh, they're supposed to come up in your life when things are changing. Mm. So mm. if one crosses your path, it's supposed to mean like pretty drastic change. Um, it almost reminds me of 
the tower card in tarot. Yeah. But I don't know if it's as dramatic as the tower card could be. You are such a Robin. They are like the sweetest birds. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The tower is a little rougher, I think, but (laughs) I do love that connection you made with the transformation. Yeah. And maybe I'm even just thinking about this because of the specific tarot deck I have. Um, it's the Wild Unknown deck by um, Kim Kranz. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the death card is this, um, it's like a little bird skeleton. So yeah. it feels like this wonderful new beginning, which I, I love the death card in tarot. I think it's one of my favorites because it means like this wonderful new beginning or this turning of a page towards something different. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like, it, I think that they all kind of coincide. You are speaking both of our languages so much with the conjunction of tarot which is me and birds which is anar (laughs) you have really just done something really special to bring us all together because those are our wheelhouses (laughs) birds and tarot (laughs) yes absolutely i'm a simple woman i require only bird conversations and yet I never have enough. <laughs> well, birds are like your spirit language, you know? Mm-hmm. That is totally how you you have, like, special intuition and perception through birds. And I use the more conventional mode, which is tarot. <laughs> I remember, you know, just kind of circling back to the book with the original title, Synonyms for Flight. And you were like, I want to change this title. It's not right. And I was like, no, I was like, I need, I need the bird. I need the flight, you know? And then you came back with one demand, one demand for the cover, which was, it must have this very specific goose. And I was like, okay, (laughs) this is even. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We got the birds going. Like, I love that you're a bird person, Anara, because I'm also a bird person. <laughs> and um, I was like, there needs to be a goose on this cover. But mm-hmm. we have been talking about this also, like, when doing the cover. But geese are so silly. They're, yeah. like, such a silly bird. So it's like, how do you make it more serious? And I feel like we did such a great job in that hard task because – you say like silly goose or like, and they're just kind of funny. They honk. Like yeah. they're such odd animals. And I was so glad that they got to live on the cover. I think especially because with Canadian geese, they are so family oriented. And I love how they're always going home. Like it felt so perfect. Ah, uh, full yes. circle. <laughs> yes. My God. So this is just an aside from the whole goose bird situation, but I don't even think I've mentioned this to you, Claire, but my nickname here at home is Goose Egg, and it is whittled down to egg, which then becomes (laughs) eggy. So it's like a sweet name where it's like, Goose Egg, you left the cupboards open. Hey, Goose, oh, Goose Egg. That's so cute. I did not know that. That's so cute. And so it did this weird thing where, so AJ's name is Augustine, and his family has always called him Birdie, and so Birdie is mm-hmm. his nickname, but I started calling him Goose, and then somehow 
he just started calling me that because he thought it was like a pet name for each other, but then <laughs> it, it transforms. Mm-hmm. But it's a goose egg. So yeah, my my home name is just like egg. And so <laughs> that's, that's, that's so, so funny. Cute. I can't take it. <laughs> but um, so something that I had read at the beginning of the pandemic was how good it is for the human mind to imagine the future. And when mm-hmm. we acquisitioned this book, when we started to get the wheels moving, the hope that you would be able to come to Austin to launch your book was something that really kept us going. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to feed this into just saying that Texas is like a bird watcher's paradise. We have so many birds come through. And let's just envision a future in which this book is out in the world and we are all vaccinated and healthy and really want to bird watch. Oh. And you can come down to Austin and we can go to the Gulf Coast and yes. get some really great binoculars and look for birds. I would love that i want literally nothing more (laughs) than to just forget about this pandemic and just go bird watching it's funny because um i've been getting into astrocartography which is basically putting your your sign and like your birth time into a calculator and it puts everything on a map and shows where you should live or where you would have fun. That's cool. Yeah, it's so cool. But um, for vacations and stuff, and it said that Texas was like a huge one for me. Mm. I have like three lines in what? Texas, like Austin and then Houston's also there. Like literally they're all, they all meet in Texas. So it's so funny that we we're talking about visiting this year, but hopefully when we're all vaccinated and it's all safe. I would love to come down and celebrate the book and also birds. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And even though it may sadly be a while before that can happen, like Anar said, it's so healthy for our brains and it's probably just nourishing for our souls to have something like that to look forward to. Yes. And I will be dreaming about it (laughs) from here on. Yes. And just to bring the birds full circle is that (laughs) one of the really magical things about birds is their migration period and their instinct and how they return and how there's a rhythm to nature that defies just everything. There's an instinct there that is really thrilling is that we know that there will always be a spring and a summer and a fall and a winter and that Mm. the birds know this and obviously due to climate change spring might not always be as springy or winter not as wintry yeah um but there is comfort in that you know there is a future a future beyond this that still has some familiarity and something that's unbreakable about it yes and like the idea that we're just little humans on this earth, but the earth belongs to nature. And it makes me feel much better to know that there are forces outside of humans that are working 
around the clock to make the earth beautiful all the time and so interesting Mm -hmm. to live on so thank god (laughs) for that (laughs) uh everyone needs to save the date no matter who you are or where you live the nice thing about having a virtual release party is that everyone can come so february 27th Keep an eye on Host Publications social media for the information for how to join us on that day. But we're going to be putting up the pre-order link soon so people can get not only the chat book, Mistaken for Loud Comets, but also the playlist and a postcard and a special pencil to go along with it. So that comes with all pre-orders And then, yeah, we have a celebration to look forward to. Yay! I'm so excited. We're so excited. Yes. It is truly, like, just around the corner. Yeah. It's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how on (laughs) December 31st, you're like, February, I have so much time. And then on January 3rd, you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, Lily, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us. We absolutely love talking with you about poetry and life and everything in between. I'm so appreciative of you guys having me on the show and also for publishing my work. I am just so happy that things worked out the way they did and just so thankful that we have gotten not only this opportunity, but many other opportunities to talk and connect and share closeness with one another, even in these trying times. Yeah. And here's to the future mm-hmm. where we're all bird watching, hopefully in like cool matching like 70s jumpsuits. That's how I imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to do it. <laughs> I like this vision. Uh-